students. Let's join together now in taking our copies of God's Word. We are going to turn back together to the book of Acts. We're going to be back in the passage we looked at last Sunday as we begin our new sermon series here in Acts 1, verses 1 through 5. We're coming back to this passage because last Sunday we used these first five verses to kind of take a big picture view of this book. Uh, we were kind of like a Chinese spy balloon right, coming over America. Uh, that we want to take a big picture of this, of this book uh, because by taking a big picture of it, it helps us understand kind of more particular picture of it. And so we looked at how this book uh, was written by the physician Luke. But Luke was called and inspired by God through the Holy Spirit to write this book. So this, this isn't just Luke's words. These are the words of God through the Holy Spirit to him. And this is a companion piece to the gospel according to Luke. That, that these, are, these are two books, and we'll, we'll talk about this here in a moment, uh, two chapters of the same book. And so there's a connection there and that we need to see in this. But as we see in the book of Acts, it tells us about the birth and growth of the early church. But it talks about underneath the sovereignty of God. That God, from before the beginning of time, had a plan for his church. A plan for the birth of it, a plan for the growth of it. And we see that at work in the book of Acts. But also then, how this story of the history of the church in Acts connects to our story and history here at Bethel. As we said last week, that the book of Acts is the chapter one to our history here at Bethel. The, the book of Acts is the chapter one to the history of every church that is faithful to Jesus Christ. So that's the big picture that helps us come down now to look at a more uh, particular picture as we now make our way uh, through the book of Acts. And so with that being said, let me pray for us as we come together now before God's word. Lord, as we pray uh, week after week, we continue to pray this week that you would open our minds and you would open our hearts. So we may hear your word, we may believe your word, that we may receive Christ, and we may rest upon Christ as we find that he's offered to us here in this part of your word here in the book of Acts. And we know this can only be done through the ministry of your spirits. So we pray for your Holy Spirit to be here with us and among us, especially with me and my words, and with the ears and minds and hearts of your people, that we would only hear your truth. And we ask this in the name of the one who all this word is about, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and we will stand together now for the reading of God's word. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them there in forty days, and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but ye will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. 
Imagine at this point in our lives, we've all been in a conversation with somebody where either we have said or, or they've said to us, I need to tell you something. I want to tell you about what happened. But first, I need to set the stage for you. I, I, I want to tell you about, about what's been going on. But, in, but I need to give you a little bit of history about it first. Imagine we have probably said that to somebody or somebody has said that to us. And what we mean by that or what it's meant when it's, saying to us, when it's said to us is, is that what's getting ready to be told, either this, this story or this situation, whatever's going on, whatever is getting ready to be related will only make sense if you know what happened before. You will best understand what's going to be told to you or you tell somebody else when there's a history of the situation. Because without the history, without the understanding, then, then what's going to be told doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. It may make a little bit of sense here and there, but it won't make as much sense if you don't know the history, if you don't know the setup, if they haven't set the stage for you. And that's what we find Luke doing here this morning in his introduction to the book of Acts, his introduction to Theophilus. If we were to put it in kind of our terms, what Luke is saying here, Theophilus, I've got a story to tell you. And I'm telling you, it's a great story. And I'm going to spend several chapters telling you about this. But it's only going to make sense if you remember what I first told you in the gospel I wrote to you. So it's interesting to see here that, that Luke, from, from the very first word, from the word go, says that in order to best understand this narrative of the beginning and growth of the early church, you don't start in Acts 1. You start in Luke 1, Matthew 1, Mark 1, June, uh, John 1. In order to understand the, the, the beginning and growth of the early church, you have to understand the Gospels first. Or to say it this way, in order to understand the history of the church, you first have to understand the history of Jesus. But let's say even better than that. What Luke is really saying here is, and best, best to understand the church, and, and, and best for you to love the church, you first have to know and love Jesus. Because without Jesus, there is no church. Without Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, their Gospels, there is no book of Acts. Because as we said last Lord's Day, there is this intimate connection between Jesus and the church. They're not separate entities. They're not one story that leads into another story. They're one of the same story. The Gospel, according to Luke, and the book of Acts are two chapters of the same book. And that book is about Jesus Christ and his glory in his church. This, this, this book is about Jesus and his love for his church. And that's something that we need tattooed on our brains. Because there's always a temptation to think of the church as a, as a human institution. It's, it's run by us. And we have some sprinkling of Jesus here and there. But this is a, a human institution. Because whose names, when we go back in the back and we see the, cop, the copy or chart of this church, it has human names on it. And we look at the back of our bulletin, your officers have human names to them. There's a temptation to think this is a human institution. And it's run by us. 
and we just sprinkle Jesus here and there. And so we, we're tempted to think of the church that way. Then, then where do we go to? Well, then we start thinking about how good we have been in running the church. As we've been talking about, our, our bicentennial is this year. And if we just think about a church in human terms, it's a human institution, then what are we going to end up thinking? Boy, we've been really good for 200 years. Our people, and the people who come before us and come from the generations before We've been better than some of these other churches. They've shut down and died. But we're, we're doing pretty good because we've made the church successful. Let's, let's pat ourselves on the back because we really know how to run the church well. We think about it just in terms of human institution. That's where we're going to end up. There's, but there's also temptation then to just think of this as a meeting place. It's just where we go on Sunday mornings. We, we get together, we, we sing a few songs and hymns, and, and we, we, we endure the, the message, and then we get out of there, we move on you know, to something else. Really, really nothing of great significance. It's just something that happens. Or maybe there's the temptation to think of this as just a piece of our family history and tradition. And we, we just come to church because that keeps us rooted in our family traditions. My family's always gone to church. And I've got to keep up that good family name. So I'm going to keep on going to church. And what Luke does here, in just his introduction, he blows all that out of the water. This isn't a human institution. This isn't just a meeting house. This isn't a repository for our, our family history and traditions. Now this is the church of Jesus Christ. This is his institution that was founded by his divine command and it it is the work of his Holy Spirit. This is where he meets with his people in worship. This is where his family, bought by his blood, gather his new creation to worship him and the splendor of his holiness. This church, in 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 a sense, the church has nothing to do with you or me. It has everything to do with Jesus Christ. Because here's the thing. One day, all of us are going to die. And Lord willing, Bethel ARP will continue on. But you take Jesus Christ away from Bethel ARP, and you know what happens? There will cease to be a Bethel ARP. So here, just in the introduction, Luke is either reminding some of us, or maybe some of us are learning this for the first time, that the connection between Jesus and the church is so intimate that you can't understand the church without first understanding Jesus. And that's why we can't accept the world to understand what we're doing here. They're not believers. They don't understand why we would give up an hour or two on Sunday morning to to dress up. And come sit in, 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 in this place and not in the most comfortable pews and, 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 and sing these old songs and hymns and do all that. It doesn't make sense to them because they don't know Jesus. But when we know Jesus, then this all makes perfect sense, doesn't it? What else would we rather be doing than to gather on Sunday morning with our brothers and sisters of Christ? And to sing the great psalms and hymns of the faith and open his word and hear from Jesus. What else would we rather do? 
Because this is Jesus' church. And the connection is so intimate that we're told uh, by Paul that we are his bride. And, And the book of Revelation details that Jesus Christ is coming back for his church. So from the very beginning, Luke is saying, look, this isn't your church. This isn't your church. This isn't my church. This is Jesus' church. It would do all of us well to have that tattooed on our brains. And not just for the duration of a sermon or for a series, but for all of our lives. Because the moment we start thinking it's about us, we've gone off the wrong trail. Growing up in Sumter, in order to get to Columbia, you have to cross the Watery River. And the only way to cross it is to use the bridge on Highway 378-76. Without that bridge, your car would stop on the Sumter side of the river, and you'd never be able to make it to Columbia. Bridges are necessary. Some of us who are old enough remember the old Cooper River bridges that connected Charleston to Mount Pleasant. People still have nightmares about those bridges. But you had to use them because they were necessary. Bridges are necessary because they connect things. And what we find here in Luke's introduction is he's building a bridge. He's building a bridge between the gospel he's written and and this book of Acts. The the first two verses uh, of this book serves as a bridge between Luke's account of Jesus' life and ministry and to serve as a bridge to the historical account of the developing church. And there's a temptation that as we, we come to this, it, we just want to breeze through it, right? Okay, here's, here's the introduction. Let's kind of get to the meat of the story. But I want to go back to what we've talked about before. There's a verse in the Bible that stops us from doing that. And that verse passage is 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, where it says what? All scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God. Acts 1, verses 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 are from who? From God. All scriptures we have by God and it's profitable. So there is profit for us here to stop at this bridge and to see and better understand what connections Luke is making between the gospel and the book of Acts. And the first emphasis is, is, is something we've already, we've already seen, we've talked about. The first emphasis of this bridge falls off what Luke says here, uh, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. That's a very shorthand summary of his book, isn't it? All that Jesus began to do and teach, that's a very shorthand summary of, uh, of, of what we know, not only from the Gospel of Luke, but from all four Gospels. Because we take all four Gospels together, and, and what do they tell us about? Well, they tell us about the, the announcement of Jesus, the, the birth of Jesus, the temptation of Jesus, the baptism of Jesus. They tell us about the calling of the disciples. They tell us about Jesus going out and healing the, the sick and the lame and the blind and the deaf, of him raising up dead people, of him casting out demons. He tells us, it tells us about all of his teachings. We think of the Beatitudes of the Lord's Prayer, the, 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 the summary of the law of, of the parables. And as we look a couple months out, we're reminded it teaches us about his betrayal, about his trial, 
his suffering, the cross, and the tomb. All these things, all these stories, all these teachings that we know about Jesus, that's what connects us to the church. And, and so Luke very clearly says from the, from the, from the get-go, in order for us to understand the church, we don't look at the four walls here. We don't go back to Miss Nellie's history. No, we have to understand who Jesus is. We have to understand what he, we have to understand what he did according to the Gospels. Because without that, without the Gospels, without understanding all that Jesus did and taught, then this, then the church will never make any bit of sense to us. Like we said earlier, why in the world would we get up on a Sunday morning? We could be sleeping in. We could be doing chores. We could be doing all sorts of other things. Why are we here? Jesus. Without Jesus, there is no church. There is no us. There is no Bethel. So Luke says this bridge, understand the church? We have to understand who Jesus is. We have to understand what he did as we find according to the Gospels. But there's more to this bridge. Look at what Luke says next. Until that day when he was taken out, as we see in verse 2. Well, that's in reference to the ascension of Jesus. And we're going to talk more about this over the next couple of weeks. I'm just going to say a little bit about it this morning. Out of all of the events that make up the life of Jesus... I think his ascension is the one that's least remembered. We, we celebrate his birth. We will celebrate on Monday, Thursday, the Last Supper. There's Good Friday, his crucifixion. And there's Easter, his resurrection. When was the last time we celebrate the ascension? When's the last time you gave much thought to the fact that Jesus ascended into heaven? We, 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 we think of his birth, we think of his teaching, his miracles, we think of the cross, we think of the resurrection, but how often do we think of his ascension? Well, we should be thinking of it weekly. Because what do we confess the Apostles' Creed? He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. The ascension is a big deal. This isn't just a little you know, side note of theology. It's included in Scripture. We weekly confess it as being a vital part of our faith. And what we will see is that not only is this a part of bridge, but without the ascension, there is no church. Because what does Jesus say? It is good for me to go away. It's good for me to be ascended. Why? So there will be a church. And who is the king of the church? It's Jesus Christ. And Jesus, the king of the church, ascended to heaven so he can rule over his church. The ascension is a beautiful piece of theology. The the ascension is a vital part of our faith. The ascension, sadly, has become one of the least understood parts of our faith that plays such a vital role and who we are, what we believe, and what the church is about. And that's part of the bridge. Do you want to understand the church? Do you need to understand that your Jesus has been ascended? Now that ties in with the resurrection, 
which ties in with his death, which ties in with with the cross. But in order for us to understand this, we need to understand the ascension. The next part of bridge we find going on in verse 2 says, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So what's part of church is instruction of the apostles, which then becomes our instructions as disciples of Jesus. And again, this goes back to what we just said about all that Jesus did and taught. But when we look at the Gospels, who was Jesus mainly teaching? It was the apostles. It was the 12 men he had gathered for three years. And what's one of the last things he taught them to do? Go therefore into all the world, teaching them to observe what I commanded you. So Jesus spent three years with this ragtag group of 12 apostles, 12 men, fishermen, tax collectors, else. He spent 12 years with them, seminary. It was seminary of Jesus. For them to do what? For them then to go out and to teach others what he had taught them. So to understand this, understand this church, we have to understand that these teachings were given to the apostles to share with others. So that's meant to be one of the main aspects of the church. We're not here just you know, to have programs and to be, just to be a gathering place to, to make people feel good. No, that, that great commission applies to us that we are to teach all that Jesus has commanded us, all that Jesus has taught us. That's why we have Bible studies. That's why we have Sunday school. Now, I'll pause here for just a moment. That's, that's been a concern for us in, in session in, in Christian ed. That we have this Sunday school program that we don't get a lot. We're thankful for the people we have. But there's more who could be coming. There's more who could be coming at 10 o'clock. Why? Because of the Great Commission. For the adults that gather over here as they finish up the book of Romans next week and then go into the book of Psalms. As the, as the youth go through uh, 1 Corinthians. As, as the children go through, their, go through their curriculum. We have this ministry not just because of what the church is supposed to do, but because we want to, as Christians, gather together to hear what Jesus has taught us people. Sunday school, children's ministries, ministries, youth ministries. That's why we have VBS. That's why we believe in our Reformed faith that the pulpit is the main instrument in ministry in the church. Not the only ministry, but the main instrument in ministry. Because we're called to teach others what Jesus has taught us in his word. So what Luke says is very clear. In order to understand this church, to understand this bridge, you have to understand the purpose of the church. That we are to teach, to observe all that he has commanded his people. And for us to take it out to the world. Next part of bridge is a scary word to some. It's that word election and chosen. He gave commands to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles whom he had chosen. These apostles, they're a ragtag group of men, but they didn't, they, they, didn't just, they didn't just come together one day and say, you know what, we got to do something. Let's be the church. 
No, they were chosen by Jesus himself. And think back to what we know, the calling the apostles. Was it done in style shows like American Idol, where Jesus put out a flyer and he said, I'm looking for 12 apostles. And so this Friday, we're going to gather by the Sea of Galilee, and I want you to come audition. And thousands of people showed up to audition to be 12 apostles. And at the end of the day, Jesus said, I really appreciate all of y'all coming. You've all done a great job. Here are my top 12. Simon Peter, Andrew, James. Wait, sorry. James, son of Zebedee. And also James, uh, uh, son of Alphaeus, you too. Is that... Is that how it happens? No. Jesus came to them. Simon and Andrew were fishing. Matthew was collecting taxes. Simon was being a zealot. And Jesus came to them. Jesus called them. Jesus chose them. And so before the foundation of time itself, Jesus had chosen to call these 12 men to be his disciples and to equip them for a ministry that reverberates this very day. And I think that's one of the amazing things about uh, the book of Acts, that what we're talking about in the book of Acts isn't dry history. It's history that reverberates to this day. The echo of the ministry of Simon Peter, Andrew, James, the son of Zebedee, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and and even Judas Iscariot still reverberates to this day. Think about that. 2,000 years ago, wearing robes and sandals, no technology, and what they did reverberates to this day. Because those men, minus Judas, including Matthias, they were the first pastors. They were the first church planters. They were the first missionaries. In the, in the main vestibule, it, 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 there's a drawing of the church. And surrounded by that drawing are the names, dates, and some pictures of, of all the men. Well, get close, get ready to be all the men that God has called to serve Bethel's pastors. It's a pictorial history of all the men that God has called to serve as pastors here at this church. And I would say just as easily across that, we can have a picture to include the names and picture representations of Simon Peter, of Andrew, James, the son of Zebedee, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas Iscariot, and Matthias, because it's on the shoulders of the ministry that we stand. The ministry they were called to by Jesus Christ, the ministry they were elected to. So for us to understand this church, this bridge, we need to understand that our first pastor wasn't Thomas Ketchum. Our first pastor ultimately was Jesus, but then the 12 disciples. That we are just directly descended from these 12 men these men who are chosen by God to be the first pastors and church planters and missionaries. And then Luke sums up all the events after the resurrection of Jesus. He said he presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Luke is really good at giving shorthand summaries, isn't he? 
Theophilus, remember all that Jesus began to do and teach the, the gospel according to Luke. And then, you know, here just think about all that Jesus did, the 40 days between you know, his resurrection and ascension. But think about all who Jesus, just all, just all who Jesus appeared to in the, in the 40 days between his resurrection and the ascension. There's a woman at the tomb, the Mary Magdalene, two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Then there's Peter in Jerusalem. Then there are 10 disciples, then 11 disciples. Then the seven disciples who are fishing in Galilee. Later on, 11 disciples in Galilee. Then 500 people. And then finally, James, the brother of Jesus. That's quite a list, isn't it? And there's two things at work here. The first is that this reminder that the resurrected Jesus wasn't a secret. That the apostles didn't take him and hide him away in, in a closet, afraid he would be captured and, and, and crucified again. No, Jesus went on a public tour. I mean, just 500 people on himself, he went and showed them to, showed himself to. Well, as, as we said before, this list of people is similar to, to building a case for the historicity of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, I know I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. I don't know if it was in a sermon or if it's Sunday school. But I, I've gotten pretty interested in this, in this trial of, of Alec Murdoch. And so as they're live streaming it, pretty much every day I will tune in for, for some part of it to kind of see what's going on. And then later on in the day I'll go to, to, to Twitter and I'll, I'll kind of catch up on the summary of it. And what the prosecution, as, as, as my feeble legal mind understands what the prosecution has been doing for three weeks now is they've been calling witness after witness to help them build their case that Alec Murdoch is guilty of murdering his wife and son. Now, now some of this is, is tedious. You know, listen to and go through the cell phone data and some of the financial stuff is tedious. But they're bringing forth witness after witness to build the case that this is what happens. And what Luke is saying to Theophilus and ultimately saying to us is that for us to understand the church, we have to understand that the resurrected Jesus is established history. And it's an encouragement that the Jesus of the church isn't a dead Jesus. That we don't have to make a, a yearly pilgrimage or bi-yearly pilgrimage to Jerusalem to go to the tomb of Jesus, to pay our respects, to light candles, to lay down flowers. No, we don't believe in a dead Jesus. He's the living Jesus. That this intimate connection of the church is between, is between the church and the living Jesus. And what Luke is saying to Theophilus, like, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians, is, look, if you don't believe this, then here's a list, list of people who can testify, even in a court of law. They can testify that Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried. And they can testify that on the third day he rose again from the dead. And they can testify that he walked, and he talked, and he ate for 40 days before he ascended to heaven. And they can testify to all that he taught about the kingdom of God. And so how fitting it is that, that Luke begins the building of the church with all that Jesus began to do and teach, and he ends the building, uh, building of this bridge by reminding us that this Jesus is a living Jesus. And at that time, if you didn't believe it, here, go ask these people. If you don't believe the apostles, if you don't believe the women, if you don't believe James, the brother of Jesus, then I got 500 other people who are going to testify to this.
Well, the next few verses fit in with the ascension, so we're going to look at that in more detail over the next couple of weeks. The bridges are important. And the bridge here is important because this bridge is made up of what the Gospels teach us about the life and ministry of Jesus, of his ascension, of his instructions to all of his disciples, to his apostles, of his choosing his followers, and the proof that he is alive. Without this bridge, we don't understand the church. Because all of this, it points us to Jesus. So what we find with Luke in the book of Acts, called and led by the Spirit of the living God, is his emphasis on the connection between the church and Jesus. There is always this intimate connection between Jesus and his people. Because here's ultimately what Luke is saying. The life and ministry I talked about in my Gospels is for his people. This ascension we're going to talk about is for his people. The 12 apostles being taught so they could go out, this is for his people. His, his being resurrected and his being alive, this is for his people. It's all about Jesus. So therefore, a church's health will always be dependent on the emphasis of Christ in that church. Are they a church who is committed to the means of grace? Word, prayer, sacrament, and fellowship because it points them to Jesus. Are they a church who are committed to home and foreign missions? They want to see more church plants. They want to see more foreign, foreign missionaries simply because they want more and more people to know about this Jesus. Are they a church who knows that this is Jesus' church? And so therefore they live and operate that knowledge. Is Jesus reflected in that church and her people? That's the diagnostics for the health of a church. And those are big questions for us to think through. But they're worthy of thought. Are we as Bethel committed to the means of grace from Jesus? Are we as Bethel committed to home and foreign missions because we want as many people as possible to hear about Jesus? Is it, are we as Bethel, do we know this is Jesus' church and therefore we're going to operate in that knowledge? Is Jesus reflected in us? When we got to the world, people say, I want to go to Bethel. Because the people I meet from Bethel, they love Jesus. And they're committed to Jesus. Those are big questions. But those are what we're called to think through. Because as Luke points us to Jesus in the church, Jesus needs to be pointed to in our church. Let's pray.